Welcome to Rough Drafts, how God writes his love in our stories, a podcast that explores the faith journeys of our friends and neighbors in Burns, Tennessee. Everyone has a story to tell. And in this podcast, we'll hear powerful and inspiring stories of how God works in the ordinary lives of people like you and me. Our stories are unfinished and perfectly imperfect. They're just rough drafts, a glimpse of what is to come because God is still at work, writing plot twists, introducing new characters, and bringing good even from the most challenging circumstances. Join us as we see what God is up to in our stories. Here's your host, Matthew Hyatt. We're gonna do things a little bit differently today. In fact, uh, what makes this episode unusual is I met today's guest about seven minutes ago. I first heard of today's guest when the Old Timers Day Committee made the announcement about him. He is going to serve as the Grand Marshal for this year's Old Timers Day Parade in Dixon. He was born in 1928 in Dixon. He grew up in the Depression without electricity in what feels like a different world. He's a veteran of 27 years. He graduated from Hampton High School, the segregated school in Dixon. He has been a drill sergeant, a TV repair guy, a used car guy, a real estate guy, a magistrate, and he's married 65 years, I believe it is. And I have no clue how many grandkids he has. His grandson asked him one time what his biggest accomplishment was. And I love this answer. He said, my biggest accomplishment is that you can expect to find all eight of my children on church on Sunday morning. I think that's amazing. So uh, today I want you to welcome to the show my new friend, Mac Adams. Mac, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank so, you for inviting me. Did you know what you're getting into today? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right. Yeah. So what did you think about being the Grand Marshal for Old Timers Day? Well, I didn't, I hadn't, I've given it most of the thought is why they selected me and who nominated me yeah. for it. And I think it's a great honor to be selected. So uh, beyond that, I haven't, I'm just waiting to hope I can, Make it through it, and when it time coming, and hope we have beautiful weather. I hope we have good that's, weather that's too. When I thought one of the big thoughts that have been about it is having good weather and being a moving target, nobody hits me. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You you got to keep things on the move for yeah. that day. Well, Mac, if if you don't mind, um, what's your story? About the only way I can, I guess, to start it is to start from the beginning and try to kind of bring you through my life history. Uh, I was born, as you stated, in 1928 in the Yellow Creek area and uh, on Yellow Creek, which is a, a community there, was uh, in Black John Hollow, which was a number of three or four black families made up this uh, area there and it was off of what is known as Freetown. You could get in off of Freetown or off of May Road. And it's been a number of years since I've been back there. But my mother, she came up here to work and she brought me up here when I was four years old and moved into, it was a garage right behind where the monumental place is at now. A, a skinny marsh's garage she moved in there with me and my brother and that was just an old garage where you it put a curtain up between to make the kitchen and the living room and we didn't stay there long this was during the winter time 
And one of the things I remember about it, I had a cold, and he's trying to give me castrol, and I, I still don't take it to this day. <laughs> and, but when she set the bottle down to give me castrol, trying to pull castrol in my nose, trying to pull castrol down me and my brother, which was younger than I am, he was, he was taking the bottle and drinking it. Would he really? <laughs> so he liked it? Well, I, he was too young. <laughs> he was three, about three years younger than I was, I believe. From the time I was four years old, we moved five different times. East Dixon, that lived in a big two-story house right there where the monumental place is at now. We lived in a two-story house over there where that church is across the street from St. James's. And we lived out on Westfield Road. And one of the curious things about when we, we, when we was out on Westfield Road, we had a pet pig. Yeah. <laughs> and I was trying to ride him to town. <laughs> and, and when I was about five or six years old, my mother moved us. She rented a house from Mr. Lee Sandler out on West Walnut Street. And that's where we settled in at, little old three-room three house. My mother, my brother, then my uncle, he come up. He didn't stay with us long there, but he moved in with us. My, my auntie stayed there with us a good little while, and then she finally bought her little house over there on Dixon Avenue. We lived there, and that's, that's where I started the school. That kind of gives you an idea. If you went out west, Walnut, right on the corner of Dixon Avenue, just as you go down the hill to the lake, now, there wasn't no road opened up down through there. The road ended right there at Dixon Avenue, and uh, but just a wooded area going on down down the hill to the lake. And then this was, this was out. We moved out there just when the lake was being developed. Really? Being opened up. So when you were a kid, what what did you do for fun? You know, our, our kids now are uh, on their iPhones and all that stuff. That you was the, the lake and the spillaway was our recreational area, fishing and swimming and long where, I guess that's Beasley Drive going down through there now. That, that creek runs all the way back down to towards Tyson Spring. My mother's at work, and me and my brother, and I had a cousin that uh, we roamed all through there. When we got back home, well, Miss Matt Harmon, who lived next door to us, uh, she could see us down in the vat, in the hollow down in there while we was up, up, going up and down through. So she let her mother know. So we was in for a whipping. <laughs> and that she finally got tired of doing that and just told us to be careful <laughs> and stay out of trouble. So, but that was our recreation, slingshots and rolling rubber tires and things, things of that nature. Just, you made your own activities. Yeah. Like back then we lived there. We rented for uh, uh, old Mr. Lee Sadler and his wife, Miss Lula. Uh, Miss Lee Sadler. Miss Lula was an Indian, Indian lady, and uh, had that long, straight hair hanging down her back. Mr. Lee, he took me, I guess, kind of to help raise me, and plowing and farming. And one of the curious things he had old mule. Uh, and wagon, and he 
we come in from flowering one day. He told me, he said, Mac, said, take Fred, that was the old mule name, take Fred down to the creek, let him get a drink of water, but don't ride it. So he went on in the house. Well, I brought Fred on around to the side of the road out here, and it had a bank there. Well, I had, had I was small. I had I had to get up on the bank to try to get up on Fred, uh-huh. and I put brought Fred up here, and I tried to get up on him. But Fred set his foot on my foot. Oh no! And I'm standing there trying to push him off, knock him off, talking to him. Move, Fred. Move, Fred. And uh, Mr. Lee Sadler come out later on. He says, "Back." I said, Mr. Fred, he he got his foot on my foot. He said, yeah, you were going to try to ride him, wasn't you? <laughs> he said, Fred, move your foot. And he picked his foot up. <laughs> I took him and laid him on down to the creek and got his water and brought him on back and put him in the barn. Up. But those are the kind of things that happened to us. Yeah, it was two or three other boys that was in our neighborhood, but... Uh, they couldn't play with us. My mother was named Callie. It was considered Callie's boys, and that wasn't really a good term really? for us in, in that respect because we were footloose and free. Uh-huh. We wasn't getting into no trouble and things like that, but usually their mothers was at home to watch over them, and then they wouldn't let them go swimming and doing the things that we did as loose kids like that. Yeah, because we didn't have the, they had more supervision, I guess, than what we had. It's funny. I think kids used to have a lot more freedom than they do now. Mm -hmm. now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, You can't hardly let your kid go to the mailbox without somebody yelling at you, but you guys had the run of the woods and the forest. And that six years old, I started to school. uh, Old kids going to school, they walked from out here up to Hampton High School, which is where the water department is located at now. And, that was rain or shine, snow or what have you. And most cases, was glad to go to school because you might have a little more heat during the winter. You had some heat heat in the school because you, you didn't have no heat at home, no wood stoves. And a lot of times we didn't have wood and keep a fire going all, all day for us boys if we was at home, you know, during the winter time. As youngsters, we older kids that when we was walking to school, and I, you know, I've, I've thought about that, you know, in the years. You know, we went from there, right up Waller Street to school, and then back down. And for the most part, I didn't know at that age, <laughs> Dixon, what what was uptown there. Yeah. And 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 we well, we didn't go uptown. You didn't think, didn't even think about going. It wasn't something you missed out on because it was just something you didn't think about did they, no it was it was off our route so we didn't, didn't give no thought to it now i'm I'm a little curious though because I, I heard a story about you you just told me you like to go to school but i heard you got in trouble for playing hooky sometimes well that was i said we went to school this was early and all the things i'm speaking about now is prior i guess to world war ii starting i guess the world changed and our life changed at that time, 12, 13 years old, World War II started. Do you remember what it was like to hear about Pearl Harbor and the war starting? I was influenced by the commercials 
and the advertisement of war bonds and uh, Civil Patrol. And um, I, I, I recollect, pull your curtains down at night and no light shining. Well, I, I, I made myself, and there wasn't nobody's house and told them to pull the curtains, but I made myself a, a Civil <coughs> Patrol guy within my neighborhood just walking around like I was part of it. I, I, was, I got into the, to the military man on it. As far as the hooky plant part, started hanging out down there at Ike Shaw's and J.W. Shaw had a blacksmith shop right up from where that yoga place is on the corner of uh, Walnut and uh, Charlotte Street now. I started hanging out up there, and this, this was influenced by another friend of mine, George Overton, and we were about the same age and he, he's a city boy, and so I started kind of hanging out with him and hanging there, and hanging out here at the, down here at the blacksmith shop. Well, you could pick up a nickel, or, uh, either just hanging around down there doing any odd job that you got to do. And I started going with the J.W. Shaw. I, I learned shoe horses and things like this, and I went with him out in the uh, uh, that big area in Franklin. Where it had all, back then had all big farms and things. He went over there shoeing people's horses and things and going around with him. And so this caused me to miss school. Okay. And I, I, one of the things, I, I, all my books, I hid my books under the cupboard down there and come a big rain. Oh, no. And washed all my books down to the cupboard. Oh, I bet you were in trouble. Uh, well, it was, we was always in trouble. <laughs> but one of the key things that happened down there, one, what, me, my brother, and I said, I wasn't all this by myself, me, my brother, and my cousin, we were hanging out down there, and we were riding a horse, all three of us on horse, walking, riding him around in the yard there in, in front of the top. And and I noticed, first off, my cousin slid off the back of him. Then my miss, my brother, slid off the back of him, and I'm still riding around. And who walks up? My mother. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't slide off quick enough, did you? Uh-uh. I didn't, I, well, I didn't even see it. They saw it, but yeah. they didn't tell nobody. <laughs> <laughs> they, took, they, took, they got off. And so... And when she done, she was at work now. She worked up on McQuarrie Heights, and she done had to leave work, come down there, and come down there with a switch. And she was using that switch on us, and my, my she had already broke me from running from her. Yeah, years ago, back when I told you we lived down in front of the monument place down there, I did something other. I don't remember now what I did, but she got ready to whoop me, and I run off. Down Charlotte Street there, I run across there, and right across the bypass is a bridge, creek runs through there, and I sat on that bridge, and finally I come back home. And when I got back home, she said, "Well, says uh, I ain't gonna, I'm not whooping you for what you did, but I'm whooping you from running from me." Yeah. And she gave me a good whipping. Yeah. Well, now coming back to when. We was on the horse. When they just slid off, well, we started home. I called them Brunt, my brother, and Willie Robert, my cousin. They took off and went on up running. Yeah. Well, she was hitting me with that switch. <laughs> and she hit me with that switch, and, and I hollered out, 
Mama, you wrapped that switch all the way around my waist. <laughs> and she, she didn't whoop me no more at that time. <laughs> Years later, she said, yes, and I got so tickled. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't whip you no more. But she come on home, cousin, he come home. He went on down to his grandmama's house, so he didn't get no whooping. Ah. But my brother come home and got crawled under the bed. Yeah. The mother come home, she moved the bed one side, he crawled up, moved the bed the other side, crawled, she just turned the mattress upside down and gave him a good walk <laughs> right under there. And you know, the way we got whipped then, you, you, they, they would put your parents in jail now yeah, probably for, so. for whipping you the way we, we did. But uh, that's my hooky playing. That broke you a skip in school. I can't recollect whether it broke me or not. <laughs> uh, I got to the age of wanting to go in service. I guess I always blame it on the newsreels. I, I, I got the idea of wanting to go in the Navy. So you saw the newsreels at the movie theater? Yeah, the, yeah movie theater. cost you 11 cents. 11 cents. And if you could hustle around, you, you, you didn't go to your parents and ask for 11 cents to go to the movie. Yeah. You had to get out and find your metal and stuff. You could carry it to sale grocery store there where you brought your scrap, any kind of old cans and bottles and anything that you could hustle up money to go to the movie with to get come up with 11 cents, and uh, you could go up there and stay all day. Yeah. <laughs> it went on Saturday. Yeah. That's all the time. Generally, when, when we went, it was on Saturday. So when you went to the movie theater, you saw the you saw the newsreels, and you yeah, saw the Navy. Yeah, generally the naval bombardments, the naval activity that, I think it influenced me to want to go into the Navy. And uh, and, 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 and the advertisement, join the Navy and see the world. Yeah. That was one of the advertisements there. So George Overton and I went a couple of times, maybe 14 years old now. 14? Yeah, to, to try to join the Navy. And we'd go through the process. When you went, you took the physicals and everything. Okay. You brought the paperwork back home for your parents to sign it. Then you carried it back, and then you went on off. Well, I don't know whether George signed his, whether his parents signed his, or what. He went on in the Navy. Okay. And I was afraid to sign mine. I didn't ask my mama to sign them, and I was afraid to sign them because I figured if I did, and I got in the Navy, well, she'd come and get me. <laughs> so You didn't uh, have to be scared of the Germans. You're scared of your mama. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I went ahead on, and I didn't sign it. Well, by this time, I uh, had another fellow, Harold Woodard, his, his granddaddy worked up at the railroad, railroad station up there. So hanging around with him, we start going up to the railroad station. Well, the Railway Express office there, old, old man Bomer was run the Railway Express. He had a son, R.L., which he was grown. He drove and delivered the express, hanging around with him, riding with him on the delivery freight truck, well, you might get a nickel, and, and that that's where I first learned to drive it. And then you, you went up to alleys behind behind business and putting out the, you know, delivering the express that come in for them. So I started, and Harold, he kind of dropped off, but I kind of kept hanging around now with it. Yeah. And I cleaning up the office, and I learned the business of freight managing the shipping packages and things like this. And uh, R.L., he got old enough, he volunteered and went in the Navy. And I come in there one Sunday morning, and Mr. Bowman says, Mac? I said, yeah. I said, uh, R.L. says, you know how to drive. 
I says, uh, well, yes, sir. Well, get in. So he drove the old truck, and we going up to the fairground. Let me see what you can do. I drove it around the fairground there, and come, come on back. He says, well, says, uh, you're going to be driving. This is on Sunday. You're going to be driving, delivering the express to Monday. I said, oh, well, this is 40 cents an hour? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was making 40 cents an hour. Now I had a real job making yeah. 40 cents an hour. And how old were you? Huh? How old were you then? I'm getting around 14, 15 years 14 old. 14 or 15. Yeah, somewhere in that area. And uh, making 40 cents an hour. That's pretty big. Oh, that was good. That was well, that'll get you to me. That was man's wages. That, yeah. that, was, that was top wages back at that time. So I went to work delivering the Express, doing the same thing that uh, RL, what we'd been doing with RL. He sent me to Charlotte to get my license. And he he talked to Hub Hammonds, who was chief of police at that time. And, and Hub told me, well, send him on over to Charlotte. Well, I got over there. And uh, highway, the highway patrolman asked me, who sent you over here? Have <laughs> you how old I was? Yeah. Uh, Mr. Ariel Bowman told me to come over here and help Hammonds. He said, Well, you go. I ain't giving you no license. You go on back to Dixon. <laughs> so I come on back. I told Mr. Bowman, I says, uh, It wouldn't give me no driver license. He said, Well, Hub says just go on and drive, but don't have no, don't get into no trouble, <laughs> and don't have, don't have no accident. Right. Basically. One of the uh, things that during that course of that time when I was driving, and it, this didn't come back to years later when it went, you know, the segregation and discrimination and all of these things, yeah. I had no, no, no inkling of what it meant or anything like right. that. I was coming up out to the red light, uh, old Miss Race, her old, she always drove a big old black beer, her husband had raised grocery store down there. She lived up on McQuarrie Heights. Well, her and another man had had an accident there. And I'm sitting at the red light. The officer there, did anybody see this? I said, yes, sir, I saw what happened. He said, well, black person can't testify against a white man in court. Uh, so that was just, you know, and so I said, well, all right, I just. That's just how it was. It went on, you know. Yeah. Just, just the way it was then, you know, that's, I just went all about my business and uh, went on. So that's just one of the experiences I had in, at that time. I didn't pay no attention. You know, you said it, that's the way it was. So I went, I drove for the Express there for, I guess, I don't know how long now. It's another incident here as I was growing on. When I was 15 and a half years old, I read in the banner that if 15 and a half years old, you could join the Merchant Marines. Okay. I bought me a ticket, went to Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. And uh, at 15 and a half, I got into Atlanta, and I asked a man at the shoeshine box there how to get to uh, Peachtree Street. He told me how to get to Peachtree Street, but I didn't ask him how to find the courthouse. Okay. So I had the address. So I walked out on Peachtree Street, and I turned left. Oh, no. And I walked and I walked and I walked and I walked and I walked. <laughs> Finally, I come to residential here. I said, well, it ain't out here. Wrong way. <laughs> I turned back and come back to where I started from and walked down the street here about a block and a half and crossed the bridge. And there was the courthouse down there. And so I, I went in there. So I wanted to join the Merchant Marines. Uh, 
We don't take colored. They don't take colored folks in the Merchant Marine. Oh, no. We had to come on back out and got on the bus and come on back. And I stopped in Chattanooga and hung out with some of my brother's family up there. Yeah. Spent the night with them. And I got back home. Well, mother wanted to know, where you been? <laughs> Your mom did not. No, I didn't tell you <laughs> nobody about anything. I said, where you been? I told her what I'd done and where I'd been. She said, well, Matt Junior, if you wait till you get old enough, I'll sign the papers for you to go in, go in the Navy. Yeah. So it went on after that, waited till I got old enough. And what was old enough? 17. 17. 17, okay. yeah. And uh, so when I got 17, I went back to her and she signed the papers and I went on in the Navy. And then <laughs> years later, I, well, I've done, spent my whole military career. We stayed at home talking. I, my mother, you know, we going back over this history about what when you signed the papers. She said, "Well, there's a, I told you that, Matt Junior, because I thought maybe you'd forget about it, <laughs> but you didn't forget it. No, you didn't. Because you served. So was, I, 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 I went in. I, I, I went in the Navy. Took went on to Fort Bainbridge, Maryland, for boot camp, and went through boot camp and troop train." Put us on a troop train going to uh, San Pedro, California, Los Angeles, and Pat, uh, wound up in San Pedro, California is where it was going, at Long Beach there. And the interesting thing, on the troop train, prior to going in service, troop trains come through Dixon. Some of them would stop, and they'd be hanging out the window, and right on the corner down, uh, on the corner of their Mulberry and Railroad Street, back then it was a liquor store. And they hanging out the window and handing you money. Go to the liquor store and give me some liquor. Go to the liquor <laughs> store and give me some. And we'd go up here and take the money, and and they watch the train pull off <laughs> <laughs> and wave goodbye at them. Yeah. Oh, and they're yelling at you and calling you everything. You know? <laughs> yeah. So had that same experience when I was on the troop train. Yeah. Going to California, when you stop in the little town, you could see a little store. Uh, uh, I didn't give nobody no money. <laughs> but some, some guys did it, you yeah. know. But you knew better. And they, they didn't get nothing either. <laughs> but, uh, so I wound up in, in uh, San Pedro, California, at Long Beach there, assigned to a PCE, Patrol Craft Escort, it's, it's a little small ship. You, I'm a your steward mate now, and a steward mate is basically a, Waiter, housekeeper. Okay. You're taking care of the officers' quarters okay. and their food gotcha. and service, serve them. And I had about three or four officers on this ship that I had to take care of. I had to fix breakfast for them because we had a pantry where you could fry the eggs and bacon and stuff like that. But the rest of the meals came out of the mess hall. So all I have to do is pick it up and bring it up to the pantry and then prepare it and, and serve it to them. So I had a lot of time. Yeah. On my hand, I, their room's taken care of and feed them and whatever I had to do to take care of things with them. So so I was involved as a seaman, keeping paint, painting, and working just like they did, running the Liberty boats and uh, working as a, uh, off the, the deck as a, I don't remember the right term for it now, but where, when guys went, went, up, went off the ship, you had a, had someone there that 
signed them off and signed them on. Gotcha. They went off for liberty and things like that. Quarter, quartermaster or something like that, yeah. whatever they were. Whatever they were now, but anyway, didn't know at the time they allowed me to do these things. But I didn't know at the time that I wasn't supposed to be doing them. I always recollected one time me and I'm I'm the only black person aboard the ship, and me and another white guy was on the side on the plank, chipping paint and scraping, and painting. And he allowed me, Adams, you're not supposed to be doing this. Well, at the time, I I didn't think nothing about it because I. I'm supposed to be a mess steward. Well, yeah. that's my assume this. Since then, I've realized maybe he was referring to me. I was supposed to be doing this because I'm color. Worked like this, had, had the opportunity to run the Liberty boat, doing all the things that a seaman did. I, I, in my mind, I wanted to be a chief boatman mate. He was responsible for everything that went on aboard ship uh, for enlisted personnel. Well, then, high man. Yeah. That was my admiration. Okay. Not realizing that yeah. <laughs> I, I could never, later on I realized I could never been that. Right. But uh, I worked at those things that did things that Seaman did and uh, operated basically like they did and, and did my other chores as the officer. But sometimes I look back at it, I, I, I see myself, I wasn't really thinking, I wasn't really cut out to be a steward's mate yeah. at that time. I remember an officer asked me, if I, I come there with a cup of coffee and, and suck a, suck a coffee for him or something. One asked me for something else. Well, I set the cup of coffee down on the deck, on the deck at the floor. Yeah. And, and went back to get the other something, like, you know. So, and they looked at me, hey, so little, little things like that. that yeah. They triggered, triggered me now that I realized that possibly wasn't cut out to be that. I stayed aboard that ship for... I don't know how long now. We had one incident aboard that ship that we were doing a shakedown cruise off the coast of uh, California, L.A. there. And I was helmsman. This is, man, you guiding the ship. You got your compass and you got an azimuth that you set on to keep the ship on course. And I'm I'm just moving this thing, just making sure that everything just stayed right on it. And we're going up the coastline. Well, I could see the coastline light. Now, we way off the shore, but you could see the lights out of the starboard side of the ship. And then here again, I'm, I'm dead right on my compass, looking at that compass and keeping that dial right on everything. It's, it's just going up. And here I see the coastline off the left side, port, yeah. port side, making a great big circle. Oh, how funny. <laughs> and call the officer today. Since, since then, I think somebody else was guiding the ship from another area down that caused us to make that great big circle. When I look back, you see that wake behind you, just a great big circle around. Funny. He, he told me, he says, uh, well, the gyro messed up, and then we put it on the, another gyro. But I, I, I think back since then, I, you know, since later on, I, yeah. those things, I, I just said, well, it messed up in my mind since, since then. But I've thought, you know, years later that things make you think, well, there was just something else that... Something was different. They yeah. were do, doing to make me... I'm, I'm up here thinking I'm, thinking I'm running the ship. I ain't, I'm just carrying around. It got me running around. It got to go around in circle. So what? Um, when was that? Was that... This it was been in 46. So the war's over. 45, but... 46, yeah. Uh, kind it's of been in... been in 46, I guess. Okay. I went in right after the end of World War II. Okay. And in, uh, in 45. 
and this is probably in the latter part of 45 or early part of 46, something other when I was in San Pedro. So what, what's next? Went from there to Guam, a operating out of uh, the cargo ship that operated in the Mariana Islands there, and I stayed on it a little while. Then I got transported to another PCE there, and it did weather weather stations. And we went out, you just went out, set in the Pacific out here for two weeks or 30 days or what have you, and sent back, sent up balloons and sent back weather reports. And you just swimmed and sat and floated out here. And But one of the most beautiful things that I got out of that was in the evening time, the sun set. My effort was to get my meals served and everything done so I could be up on deck to watch that sunset in the evening. How cool. It was all beautiful. It had that great big red sun going down behind you, just watch it just go on on down behind us, go behind us, out of sight, out of the water. Yeah. And we'd dive off, swim there, because you didn't have no, no no recreation out there. You'd have a man up in the tower with a rifle left to watch them for sharks and things. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> but, uh, and we'd go go overboard sw- swimming. And I, I, I kind of skipped over when I was in... in uh, Hawaii there. PCE came back to Hawaii, and that's where I got my military driver license. Okay. I, I was going to be the, I guess what you would call the recreational personnel. I, you go pick up the films and run. The, I had learned to operate a film projector from in the Roxy Theater. Yeah. Well, I had went into the upstairs in there where the, where the guy showed the movies to see what he was putting on the screen down here. Yeah. And he showed me I had learned how to set the reels and how to operate reels there to show the movies. Yeah. And this was back, I mean, 10, 10, 11, 12, 13, 12 years old. Yeah. But now, so <clears throat> I, th- this kind of projected me to help me be, take care of the movies and things. And so they sent me to get my driver license. I went ahead to go off, off base to get my driver license. I went over here and went through the written test, and then they went out for the driver's test. Well, the guy come out with me, drive, he told me to turn left. Well, well we come off the base, uh, off the base onto the highway. He said, turn left. Well, I turned left. And he said, where are you from? I said, Tennessee. They don't have no four-lane highways in Tennessee? I says, I don't know. I, Dixon, oh, we got two highways, one going this way, one going that way. Yeah. He said, well, you on the wrong lane. Oh, no. It was a four-lane highway. Well, I just turned left and caught up. To, uh, you, you're on the wrong side? Yeah, on the wrong oh, no. side. <laughs> he said, I said, well, I thought this was two the cars up on that road over there. We went up and down that side over there, and then cars over here going oh, down this funny. side over here. Yeah. So he went on down. He gave him a license. <laughs> so you still got your license after yeah. driving the wrong way down yeah. the highway. Yeah, he gave him a license. I, I got to drive around over the island, and I rode out in the countryside there and I'm looking out and I wow there's sure grow a whole lot of peas over here look all I could see was just green plants coming up and I said they're peas and the further I got out there then here I look up a great big pineapple uh-huh. <laughs> pineapple matter of fact yeah I said well oh those are pineapples wow <laughs> you know you're you're in your what early 20s at this point no I I hadn't reached 20 at this time okay probably. So you're not even 20 yet, mm-hmm. and you know how to put horseshoes on. You know how to work on film projectors. You know how to drive for people. You know how to 
basically be a, a server or steward on a boat. You know how to clean the boats, you how to navigate. You knew how to do more by the time you turned 20 than most people do in a lifetime. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I'm not kidding, yeah. though. That's what you described. Yeah, well, you uh, yeah, well, you think about it, yes. No That's thing. pretty cool. Because when I read your biography uh, and I, I saw the things that you had done in your life, I thought, how in the world does anybody, you know, who own, who's a real estate agent and a TV repair guy? Like, you know. Well, those things happened after I got out of service. Right. And I'm not trying to skip ahead. It just, it was interesting to me that yeah. uh, you are, uh, it's just really neat to see how many different worlds collide, you know, in you. Well, we'll keep going. Tell me, tell me what's going on next. Prior to getting on this PC, I believe I was signed to an APA. And this is an interesting part of it. We went from San Francisco to a 30-day trip and a 60-day trip where you went from San Francisco to Guam to Philippines Japan and China. They went to China was your long trip. Okay. And your short trip was the Philippines, then then back to San Francisco, Tokyo, and like of that. I don't ever recollect working as the good mate serving the officers yeah. the whole time I was aboard this ship. One thing that happened with me there, I look back on it, and I think it was supposed to have been a punishment, was they also they put me, made me paint the staterooms. These are the officer staterooms. And they peed green. And in these, you got wired and you got everything going through these up and over heads on it. And you got, you don't have spray guns and you, all you got is a paintbrush oh. and, and, and oil-based paint. And all those tubes and, and pipes. And the officer took me up, he took me up and wanted me to paint the staterooms. And, and, and he says, uh, you go down to the paint locker and the, and the uh, seaman there will show you how to mix your paint and take care of your paintbrushes. And I allowed to him now, I don't need nobody to tell me how to do this. He says, I know how to run a paint locker. I wasn't being smart. I think he thought I was being, when I look, look back on it, the yeah. expression on his face, he thought I was being smart, but I wasn't being smart. Yeah. He wasn't expecting me to know right. these things, but I had learned these things, how to take care of your paint brushes and clean your brushes and mix your paint and all of this when I was aboard this PCE back in the early part of my service there. But he put me up there. Well, to me, that was just like throwing bro rabbit in the pot and <laughs> briar patch. Yeah. I was content. I, I worked at that paint, that paint nose. Made sure that I didn't my paint didn't run down my arm. Paintbrush didn't get all up on the handle of a paintbrush. Yeah. Worked at it just like an artist. Yeah, to me, I worked at it just like an artist. But but I was comfortable doing this. And I remember going down to the. Uh, this is a big ship now. This is a great big ship, and I don't know how I was out rambling that during that night, and I went up on the bake. Went went down into the bake. Wound up in the bake shop. Oh, that was one of the best smelling places you ever wanted to smell. And looking at them guys in the white uniforms and baking and doing and all, and they said, and so I told them, I want to be a baker. Yeah. And you couldn't be a baker. Aww. But the key thing was, to me, you worked at night, you got to sleep all day. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, was, that was my idea of, that made me want to be a baker. Yeah. Couldn't do that. So we're coming on back, final trips to China. Uh, this had been in 68, I think, kind of set the ground. 
generally we went, when we went into Shanghai, and it was another port. We had two ports in China to work. I can't, never could remember the name of the other. But Shanghai was one of them. We went to town there, and you'd be out with the girls and hanging out in, in, the, in the town. And you'd out and you'd see up in the mountain, you'd see gun flashing, you'd hear the booms and all of this. And you'd ask them about, uh, what, 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 what is all this? That's the communists and the uh, guerrillas fighting. No sweat sailing, no sweat. Don't worry about that. You know. That was the communist revolution happening? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Chiang Kai-shek was yeah. still in Texas. And I think it was in 68 when uh, we were directed to go back to Shanghai, evacuate all the civilian personnel out of there. And that's when Shanghai had begun to start falling. Wow. I look at it now. We we were supporting them back then. One of the PCEs that I was on when it came back to Hawaii. This brought me went, brought me back to Hawaii. We there got the ship all back in ship shape, getting it cleaned up, putting everything ready to go. And here they come loading rice. I'm looking at what is all of this rice coming aboard ship? Tons and tons of rice coming in. Uh, what's all this shit rice coming aboard ship for? And a few days later, a Chinese crew come aboard, yeah. and we turn the turn the ship over uh-huh. to the Chinese. Yeah, and that I understood then what why you had all the rice. Why, why yeah. all that rice? Yes, yeah. <laughs> comes aboard. That's so comes funny. aboard there, and and this might have been before we had the evacuation uh, uh, situation there. So you served. Um, in the Vietnam War, as well as the Korean conflict, too. Is that correct? Now, when I turned 21, I got out of the Navy, asked you to re-enlist. Yeah. I told him, no, I wasn't re-enlist. Well, you get in the reserve. I said, no, I don't want to get in the reserve. Well, get in the inactive reserve. Are you getting in the active reserve? Well, you'll be the last ones called up. <laughs> I said, well, all right. Now, this is in 1949, I guess. Okay. So I got out. 49, went on back. I hadn't finished high school. See, I, I, I got out of the eighth grade when I was 17 years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, I went back. So I come on back, started my high school over again. And, and uh, A.J. Hardis, he put me in the ninth grade. Well, then 1950, the Korean War come up. I got to notice I'm I'm in the inactive reserve. The last one I'm supposed to be called. I Surprise. got to notice saying, uh, "Courthouse in Nashville, there, and bring your toothbrush, your toilet, garlic, and everything with you, because if you pass your physical, you won't be going back home." Wow! So I went up and took my physical, and I didn't go back home. <laughs> oh wow! They shipped me on off to uh, South Carolina. At the naval base in South Carolina was one of the one of the first times that I felt discrimination. Yeah. And what was now? Uh, I'd worked at, at the railroad station here, Dixon here, back in my early, early days. You had white water fountains. You had white bathrooms. You had we had all of this. All of these things existed. Yeah. But at the shipyard there, across the South Carolina, had a white water fountain, black. Yeah. And for whatever reason. It irritated me. Yeah. It, it just, and that was my first real experience of being emotionally affected by the discrimination. Segregation. Mm-hmm. I, and 
I, I, I guess I was trying, I always think I was trying to be smart. I had two girls back here then that I went to PX and one friend, I bought some jewelry for her, which the girl I was thought I might be going to marry. Yeah. And, uh, but she married my friend. Oh, no. <laughs> and, no. And uh, I bought some another girl that uh, makeup sets for her and then the, 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 the clerk and the PX that she was white, the white lady. And she questioned, she says, well, uh, what kind of complexion is she? Well, I, I that had this experience as a water fountain, as a water fountain. I said, well, she's just about your complexion. Yeah. Which she was. <laughs> yeah. But I, I was trying to be smart. I think just because I had been, yeah. been irritated with this. Yeah. And I said, she's about, about your complexion. And uh, so I bought them and sent both of them their gifts and, and all. And when I did finally come home, well, the other girl had done married. Well, both of them had done married. But <laughs> got out. So those gifts didn't work, huh? <laughs> no, gifts didn't work. And I wound up getting out, re-outfitted there and sent to uh, Beaumont, Texas. On an AKA transport ship had been in mothballs. And we had to take it out refurbish it and get it ready for seaworthy and everything. Get it back online. Yeah. I'm still Stuart, Stuart mate. We brought it on back to Norfolk, Virginia, and then was loaded there and wound up going to, this is during the Korean War time now, and wound up going to Thule, uh, Greenland. And my experience there was icebergs, Eskimos, and I had a picture there on my nightstand. It comes up every once in a while, and I looked at it, it showed me standing on deck, and in the background, for years, I kept trying to figure out, it, it wasn't the sky, it wasn't a, what, why is that, why is that, that's unusual, and it finally dawned on me, that was an iceberg behind me, wow. in the background, but the icebergs there were floating around as large as our ship was, Yeah, and uh, so we threw the Greenland, and I had, that had the, had that experience there. Had 24-hour daylight there at this mm. time. And back when we was out at sea in the Navy, we was out at sea. You you couldn't see the city, but you could see the lights reflected from the large city against the sky, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm looking up here, and I see this, and through the Greenland, I said, well, these are lights from Russia. And... Somebody finally told me, said, no, that's the uh, Aurora. Oh, the Northern Lights. Yeah, the Northern yeah. Lights. And uh, that was an educational wow, thing cool. there. From Dixon, Tennessee, to Hawaii, in Guam, and Philippines, and China, to the Northern Lights mm-hmm. in Greenland. Greenland. <laughs> wow. See the Northern Lights, yes. Finally, you know, what a period of time there, I was let out out of the... Navy. I don't remember what it was a year, eighteen months, twenty-two months, whatever it was. Now, I just I, I have I never go back to try to recount. Yeah, things. So I uh, got out, come on back to Dixon, went back and finished my high school. Okay, and graduated in nineteen fifty-three, and about seven eight of us decided to go to South Bend, Indiana, to try to work. And I worked at the ammunition plant out there and. And Kingsburg, out at Laporte, and each each one of us start migrating back to Dixon, and finally I come on back, and I come back to Dixon. I done bought me a car then, 
Reverend Macbroom had a, he had a camps operation, and I started working with him. And had a friend, C.A. Carr, him and I were called running buddies. We did everything together. He'd been in the Army, and I'd been in the Navy, so we're sitting down here talking, and one morning or something, we said, well, we're going, we're going to Air Force. You know, footloose and free. We're going to Air Force. Yeah. We walked uptown there, and old Hassel, he was the recruiter. I don't know why I always remember he married a girl here, but old Hassel, and uh, he he recruited because he's talked. He got up there and talked to us. He says, uh, "You go in the army." Says uh, you can be stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and says they pay you jumping out of airplane. Says they pay you fifty five dollars extra a month. Well, my man, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, fifty five dollars. That's right over here. I'm at home. Yeah. So I put it, let's go in the Army. Okay. So I, I went in the Army. We, we we decided to go in the Army. Well, he had he didn't have to go through basic training because he'd been in the Army. They sent him directly to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Well, I sent me to Fort Jackson, South Carolina for basic training. So going through, I went through, Basic training there, and now one of the things that I, I, I realized later, I, it was forming the companies, and I'm here, I'm wanting, taking a little while, the processing people, making companies, process people, make companies by what's being made. Then I'm going into a company, and I remember the drill sergeant, when we're all standing outside here, he says, now, if any of you, you're, you're, you're a mixed unit now, see. If any of you feel like that you can't sleep with a black man above you or below you, uh, eat the mess hall with him, step forward. Oh, boy. Nobody stepped forward. <laughs> yeah. They talk to the white guys now. Yeah. Uh, I guess you could probably this black <laughs> Yeah, maybe, yeah, you know. Could win either way. But nobody stepped forward. But I realized, and I realized later on, we was part of the first integrated companies at Fort, at Fort Jackson. Wow. And this had been in 54. Okay. And uh, so we went through that and, and processed through that. And that's why I stopped smoking it. Okay. Uh, I, people said, good Lord, well, some people might say this, but the good, I, I, I didn't know who it was at the time. I just said somebody spoke to me and says, when you smoke these four cigarettes, you're going to stop smoking. Really? That just as clear as I'm talking to you. Yeah. And got up that morning, we went, went, went through our normal process, went to breakfast. They gave me a pack of Lucky Sack with fuel rations, and they gave me a pack of Lucky Sack, Lucky Lucky Strike cigarettes. Yeah. I brought them back, laid them in my foot locker. Yeah. And display there. And went on. And the old, old Pendleton, the guy that slept, the white guy slept above me. And and uh, he said, and had, we had a pretty good relationship, I guess. He said, and he said, and I quit smoking. He said, Adams. I says, huh? He said, I've seen a whole lot of cheap people. I says, huh? I've seen a whole lot of cheap people, but a man deny himself a, 
a cigarette for 10 cents, a 10 cents pack of cigarettes, 10 cents a pack. Uh, <laughs> he denied himself a good cigarette for 10 cents a pack. I said, well, that's it. Yeah. But uh, but I, I quit. You were done. And I was done with it. I, I always recollect when we, we went on the PRI circles in, and we done went through, went through our process that morning, whatever it was, and it took a 10-minute break. I went over, sat down beside a, a, a tree. I forget what kind of trees we had down there then. Yeah. But anyway, I leaned back against that tree, took out a pack of cigarettes, took a cigarette out, put it in my mouth. I ain't even had a cigarette. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and I hadn't hadn't smoked since except one time. Yeah. <laughs> I was up up on the hill there. I'm 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 out of back back in the army now. Back at home and up at the club, up on the hill was the club beer joint. Yeah. And I'm up here smoking, and my wife come in, and and uh, I'm sitting here with a big old cigar. She said, I thought you were quit smoking. I said, I have. <laughs> <laughs> but a girl had had a, had a baby uh, and, and gave all the guys cigars. Yeah. And I, I was smoking, I told it down. And, yeah. That was I said, it. smoke sense. But you know, and 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 and, and uh, I always not always went went to church, Sunday school back when I was a kid. Uh, Bowman, we went to Bowman Chapel's church, and as as children and 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 uh, Sunday school lessons there, and then even after I went in the army, I I attended church, but I had never joined. This is, and after I joined, I'm skipping around. Now, after I joined church, then I become to studying the Bible and realizing God. That's when I say He spoke to me, yeah, and told me to stop. When you smoke these four cigarettes, you stop. You stop smoking, and and, and I have it. I haven't bothered them since. And here you are at 94, I'd say you've done okay. Well, yeah. You've made it a year or two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, um, well, I heard a story about when, and I think it was in this, this era, when you um, you were on the train to go from one place to another, and they, they stopped to serve you guys dinner, and the restaurant didn't want to serve you. Oh, uh, that <clears throat> that was at the, uh, when I finished basic training. Okay. At Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And it was four bus loads, four or five bus loads of us coming from South Carolina, going to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Yeah. And we come into Nashville up here, and uh, our restaurant might still be there. There's an old highway there. But then we pulled in there and for supper. And we got out, and everybody started marching in. Well, the guy told the sergeant to tell us, that was in charge of us there, says, uh, we can serve them, but we can't serve them, meaning black, the black guys, and uh, said you'd have to take them downtown to a restaurant down, black restaurant or something other downtown. And he says, uh, you got food prepared for three or 400 of us here now. You got food prepared for all of these for this 
five busloads of people. I said, you want to eat it? Yeah. <laughs> you serve all of us or you don't serve any of us. Wow. So we all ate there. That was a stand to make, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, that's, somebody learned a lesson that day, I hope. Yeah, well, I, I hope they did. I know we ate. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what mattered most. Yeah, and well, that, you know, I just happened to have over here heard that conversation with him when we got off the bus there. And uh, and here again, I, you know, those things, I wouldn't think about discrimination, segregation, and, and all of that. that I, even when the guys just stepped forward at, at the basic training, my mind never went to that. Other than that incident that the water fountain in South Carolina, I had never had any emotional feelings about it. And, and I, I basically hadn't, hadn't been introduced to it. Yeah. I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll go back to when I was in uh, board ship in San Pedro, California. As I, uh, looking at manuals in here, and it had a manual that says where all the military bases was in the United States. Yeah. Well, looking at this manual, it says, why was it Clarksville, Tennessee? Yeah. I said, well, I'll put an application for transfer to Clarksville, to this naval base in Clarksville, Tennessee. And uh, sometime later, an officer comes over questioning me, and I realized later he's CID, and, and questioning me about a sign asking for assignment at this base in Clarksville, Tennessee. Yeah. And during the questionnaire, he asked me, am I a communist? I said, no, I'm a Negro. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think back on it, see, I, I realized that that, that, ended, that ended the conversation then. Yeah. He realized, that I, I had already told him where I got the information from, out of the books and, and all of this. Yeah. But when he asked me, well, I, I have no idea what a communist was. Yeah. I'm just a Negro. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that ended that conversation. But just going back to say, you know, how I felt about you know, my, my experience of knowledge of discrimination and, yeah. and all of this. And I won't say that we didn't have it even back when we was kids growing up. Right. Going back to the swimming pool down there, white guys would try to come down and run us out of the pool, get us out. They wouldn't swim with us in the pool. But they're coming up. we were little young, young with these big old white guys. But now when our big black guys was down at the pool, they didn't come down there. <laughs> <laughs> at the, the spillaway out at the yeah. lake, they didn't come down there and try to run us out either. Yeah. But, you know, that it, was just. Funny just, how that works. Just things. Uh, well, let I me, just thought it was power, power, you know. Let me change directions on All right. for a second. Uh, tell, me, tell me about your wife and how you met. Hmm. You asked me a hard question. <laughs> Well, I, you told me about sending gifts to girls, and they married other people. So I wondered, you know, did you send her a present, or did you? you know? No, uh, no. She 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 tells me that when I was stationed in Japan, that I used to write a girl, and she would have to read the letter to the girl that I wrote. Oh no! Now I wasn't going with the girl. I mean, we were just friends, yeah. I assume. But she said I had she had to read my writing. wasn't never never so good. I wrote a letter to my mother once. And it came back about, when I was in Guam, it came back about three months later. It had been to Dixon, Texas. Oh, <laughs> they couldn't read your writing? Couldn't read my writing. You and me have that in common. Yeah. You know? 
And, uh, but, uh, so I don't know how we really come to get hooked up together, but we was in high school together, going through high school together, and she relates some things to me. But you've been together 65 we, we, years we, now. We, we got hooked up together, and, and I guess we compatible enough to each other that we we got married and and stayed stayed together for at least sixty five years. I guess you're compatible enough. She, she's been gone. She's gonna. She's gonna leave me when the first child was turned eighteen. Yeah, but she kept having them and kept having them and kept having. Them. <laughs> so the secret was how so kids. Everybody gave up on that, <laughs> but. Uh, I you know I guess she, I don't know if she noticed me before I noticed her or what, but I always recollect. And we was in the gym. I don't know what we were doing in the gym, but some girl uh, made some kind of remark that irritated her, and that made me notice she had an interest in me. Yeah, and uh, we we just. Uh, kind of got hooked up together, uh, uh, and, and we've been together ever since. So, what's what's the secret of sixty five years? Uh, it's just give and take, I guess. Give and take. Yeah, just give it, give and take. You give and she takes. Or no? uh, you take what she gives. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, um, I don't, I don't know. I, can, I, 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 I. I I don't say there's say there's a secret to it. You just uh, I don't think there is either. I think you, you just, uh we just you do the work. Accept each other and and take the good and the bad and it ain't always good. I can't say it always been good for her and dealing with me, but uh she accepted it and and I hope that she appreciates waiting it out and <laughs> I'm sure she is. She had a good part of me now. Your Hopefully family has quite part. the legacy, you know, with the kids and the grandkids and the greats and the yeah, yeah, we, um, yeah. And tell me, tell me a little bit about how your faith has changed over your life. Oh, I, I've already, I've always had faith. I didn't know what the source of it was. Yeah, uh, and 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 I say that, but uh, during my military career and things that I've asked for things that I wanted and they happened. Yeah. If I wanted an assignment, then I got an assignment where I wanted to go. And I, when I got out of the Army and retired, I, so when I went to vocational school, and that's where I took up electronic radio and television, electronic. And I, I always kind of went in and out of church. A lot of times I went to church just to see if it was the girls there and things like that. Yeah. But uh, I always you had to listen to the sermon anyway. But uh, Those preachers, man. Preachers are the worst. <laughs> and uh, But when I got into vocational school and the guy Charles Pendergrass, uh, he's 10 years younger than I am, but we're sitting around where he'd be we both went to the same church, but he'd be reading his Bible or he'd be studying something other when when we wasn't in, in actually in class. And 
I began to take notice of this. I stopped drinking, and him and I joined the church at the same time. Yeah. We, we, we were under Reverend Russell. We, we joined the church at the same time, and then I, I guess I joined the church, and then I stopped drinking. I think it was in that order. Because yeah. we were still in vocational school when I stopped drinking. That was kind of a surprise yeah. to some of them. Then we had a party graduation party well I wasn't drinking yeah <laughs> and uh but uh that's where it kind of started and then I got to reading the Bible and studied Sunday school I think Sunday school you can read the Bible I think Sunday school is one of the greatest things that helps people understand from my perspective understand what God's saying to you yeah when you read it and study it and uh so these things that helped me with my faith. Then I, a fella come to me with a, I, I've been dealing with rental stuff, and a guy come to me and offered the church a, we, we were looking for property to build a new church. Yeah. And the guy come to me and offered, told me to bring a piece of property to the church. Well, I brought it to our church leader at that time, and he told me that the church wasn't interested in it. Yeah. Never, 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 I'm new in, in the church business now, so yeah. I, I accepted this. And then come find out later on, he was had another piece of property that he was wanting to sell the church, uh, put, put the church into. Yeah. But uh, so when I went back, the guy that brought me the piece of property, uh, I went back and told him, well, the church wasn't interested in it. He said, well, I said, why don't you take it and, and uh, make apartments out of it? Now, this was the old grocery store, old Davidson, what used to be Davidson Market. I don't know where you know, was this building down here on 40s, on 96, where the apartment building is right there on 96. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the left cross from that Bethlehem, from that church up on the hill there. Yes. This is the building I'm talking about. Okay. He said, why don't you take it and make uh, apartments out of it? I ain't got no idea getting money to make apartments yeah. out of nothing like that. He says, uh, housing has got a plan company that's available to do this with. He yeah. says, oh, he says, yeah. So I went to housing. I've, I've already written some housing, written property through housing. Yeah. I went to them and I says, uh, I understand that situations y'all got housing, got plans that can help finance these things, help, help you do these things. Yeah. And he's, where did you get this information from? <laughs> and I, t I told him, and he said, well, yeah, says, uh, we got it. He said, if you get the financing, we can take care of it for you. Yeah. So I uh, went to one of the banks. They didn't know anything about it. They wouldn't, couldn't deal with it. One that hadn't heard of it, so I went to First Federal. That's one of the places I did and I talked to uh, Tummins there. He was there at that time. Told him what I'm doing. I says the key thing was they said that if if you develop it, if it wasn't rented, housing would pay to rent, the guaranteed rent income off of it. So they told me you get a letter saying that. Yeah. <laughs> then we'll we'll loan you the money. Yeah. But that, but I went. <clears throat> I developed this place, and the guy. I had to have a general contractor, 
at that time and and was working with him and I've done coming to an end and you know you get to the end your money gets short mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm saying a prayer that I've got to have X amount of dollars to finish this thing up come in on Monday morning and we come in and I come in and he comes in he says Mac I say yeah he says uh you can handle the rest of this. You don't need me. I says, huh? He said, you don't need me. He said, you're just going to be paying me for nothing. I said, what? You don't need me. He said, if you get in, if you're running something you can't handle, give me a call. I'll come help you with it. Yeah. And I said, you know how much money that is? Yeah. He said, yeah. That's the amount of money I needed to oh, how cool. finish the project. And you know what I love about that? It wasn't it wasn't just that God answered your your prayer by magically making you find a, a wad of cash. He answered your prayer by using a person who was generous. Yeah, yeah. You know, a person who was kind. Kind, yeah. He didn't have to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. He didn't have. He didn't have to do it. No. I know a lot more stories like that where God delivers through some really cool people. Through cool people, yeah. And, and and things like that. Now, and 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 incident prior to that. Uh, my, I guess it was my son at that time. Football game over here. We we done. This might have been a little early in the process. We done towed the roof off the building. All of it on on the weekend. All of it was exposed. Yeah. Installation and all of this. And over here at the football Friday, Saturday night football game. I guess it was Tony, my baby, which from my uncle, my baby boy at that time. And look, rain coming in. And I looked up, and I, I, I don't know that I said a prayer or what. Yeah. But in my mind, I heard, says, sit down and watch me work. Yeah. Sit down and watch me work. Yeah. I, I, I I don't I don't I, I, I just stood up trying to think of what I could do how I can go and do something how other can you to, fix it to protect yeah. all of this open roof here and it says sit down and watch me work. I sit back down. Yeah. And actually, I don't think I ever thought any more about it. Yeah. Until we walked in there the next day, and he says, "Matt, God must be on your side." I said, "Huh? God must." He says, "You know it." Work rain all the way around Dixon, but not here. And saying a drop of water filling up here. <laughs> How cool! I said, huh. "How cool!" I done forgot about. It. Yeah, but you know, it brought that back to my memory. What I had stood over and what he told me. Said, "Sit down and watch me work." So you know that 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 that, that that's where my faith comes from. Absolutely. When he's in things that that he's. I've physically done that I, I know that I can testify to. What I've enjoyed hearing from you so much today, um, you know, you have you have been on this planet a day or two. You know, you've been here a while and you've been through some stuff and you have unfortunately uh, received some unfair treatment. But what I hear is you're a person who has chosen to see the good. Uh, you have chosen a path uh, not of bitterness and not of 
you treated me wrong. You have chosen to see good and you have chosen to see God and you have worked hard and you have been a blessing to an awful lot of people in your days. Uh, and, you know, I think those are the stories, Mac, that we need to tell more of because when you go on TV, all you see is the people who are angry and bitter and yelling at each other and talking about what divides us. And yeah. what you've done for us today is shown us the stuff that brings us together. And man, I'm so glad I'm getting to meet you. I don't know about it. I, I, don't, I don't say, you know, to me, I, I have, I try not to have any animosity against anybody or anything. Yeah. I, I know people uh, do things to you. They do hurtful things and say things all the and But generally, I, I get over it. Yeah. If it if if it does come on me, I I, I get over it and and I have I must we have uh, my children get after me now about they think people taking advantage of me but and all but I, in, in, in my in my rental situation you know yeah. but I feel like you know it's not hurting me yeah Bella mentally or financially and I just leave it I just leave it alone. Yeah. And go ahead on because I think I've, 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 we've been too well, too blessed, too blessed to beyond my imagination for 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 me to have feel angry about yeah anything. And I, I know people do things sometimes out of you know spite or what have you, but that, that's their problem. Yeah. That's their problem, not yours. It's not mine. I, can't, I can go to sleep at night knowing how we treated each other. And if, if somebody treats me wrong, that's on them, not on me. That's a good lesson. That's a good lesson. So when I joined the Army, uh, integration was taking place and wound up going to Japan, uh, joined the unit that was going to Japan well, I had been in Japan. I've never been stationed there, but yeah. we were supposed to be going there for three years. And we wound up in uh, Kuyamoto, city of Kuyamoto. Uh, uh, it's on the southern islands, I think it was. And we were supposed to be there for three years. So I wasn't excited about going to town and all of these things because I had experienced the Japanese life, women, yeah. and all of these things. So it wasn't new to me. Young, young, youngsters there that it was new to them. And also, I started my little operations of loaning money. And, and uh, that went on very well for me, buying clothes, walking around and cashmere suits and cashmere overcoats and tailor-made yeah. suits and clothes and things of this nature, you know, and just having yens in your pocket and all. And then it says, we're there about six months, and said, hey, we're going to be leaving here in a year. Okay. So I had to make catch-up. Yeah. So I started going to town and enjoying the city there. And uh, spent the year, we spent that year there, uh, and uh, come back to Fort Campbell, 
Now, see, I wasn't married at this time. I'd come back to Fort Campbell, and they activated the 101st Airborne Division. We was a nucleus for reactivating the 101st Airborne Division. And I then made corporal and kind of put me in a little leadership position. And it kind of recognized me because I already had prior service. I, I was, I didn't recognize it at the time, but I was generally eight or 10 years older than anything and everybody that I was yeah. working with, you know, but they couldn't beat me at hardly anything that we <laughs> were doing at that time. But, uh, so I, I, I stayed there until I got assignment to Korea in 58. And 58, I think it was, 58 and 59. They sent me to Korea. And I was telling my grandson here, he was talking about something else, and I was telling one of my grandsons about things you read, you're reading stuff and you don't realize, you know, maybe years later, but what it was, uh, uh, I had picked up a uh, kitchen manual and had read it, and it pertained to uh, the part that it, it come, that came back to me was it pertained to uh, what you get when you didn't cook chicken or pork uh, long enough. Gotcha. And now this was in 58. 59, and I, what I was telling him, I was trying to encourage him in reading, just reading, you know, and I, when I came back from Vietnam, and my first tour there was 67 and 68, while I was drill sergeant at Fort Camel, and, and what brought it about, he saw some of them a little statues, awards that you get for drill sergeant of the year and different things. He was asking about that. I was talking about, well, one of them come from drill sergeant of the year. And it come down to competition. Well, me and another guy was selected to come out top two. So you had to go before the colonel. And he questioned, he sat behind his desk just like you are, and he's questioning you about your military experiences and knowledge and all of this. And he done went through everything from infantry and artillery and all of this between the two of us, and we was asking all of this question. And he says, uh, he brought, he asked about what the, uh, what it was you got from uncooked chicken. <laughs> and uh, other guy couldn't ask it. Yeah. And I asked it. Yeah, you knew about salmonella or whatever. Salmonella, yeah, yeah. salmonella. <laughs> and and uh, I says I answered it. Well, now I only had that answer from something I read <laughs> back in '58. Isn't that funny how you read something in reading, that's six reading? And uh, but I, and so I wanted, but he he accused us I always. Though the other sergeant, we're both starting first classes, and he accused us of having this. Made up, yeah. <laughs> so ain't no way, yeah. The colonel could have something other made up like that. Where we come back, come down to that. That's so funny. Knowing that, but I come out with, I got the award. I was telling how I come out getting one of the soldiers of the year awards. Yeah, and 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 uh, reading and 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 
knowledge, things like that. But but I I went through basic training and and and, and the Korean when the Vietnam War started, uh, soldiers started coming back. In my imagination, they're talking about the experiences there, and I'm thinking, hey, I I can't see how that they could, you know, that these things could happen, you know, ambushes and things yeah. of this nature that could could happen. And with I mean, me, I'm I think I'm a, a soldier, soldier, so I know how to yeah combat be ready, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I I wanted to go. But I, some guys were volunteering to go, but I I couldn't. I thought, well, now it wouldn't be un, wouldn't be fair to my wife and my family if I volunteer to go over here and I get killed. Yeah. And but now if they, I come down on orders. Yeah. I'm gone. Yeah. It's not my choice. It's <laughs> somebody else's. Not my choice. And I come down on orders, and I I, I wound up in in Vietnam. On my first tour there, sixty-seven and sixty-eight, and I did understand how how those things could happen that yeah. you thought couldn't happen. But uh, it's different in a textbook than it is in the real. A whole world. lot different, but it's a whole completely different war. Yeah, Viet fighting a a guerrilla type of of, of of war there. But uh, my experience there was one of the things that. We went to there. This, this uh, major. I don't know. Be thankful that you live in a country like we do, even with all its flaws as we see them. <laughs> We're really fortunate, aren't we? In that respect, and uh, I, I just uh, got my. Don't go there. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I, 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 I had one guy who was, was, he, he got, uh, was on on the back of his trucks going down convoy going down the road, and BC hit, didn't hit him. The bullet hit the tailgate of the truck and got shrapnel, shrapnel piece of metal off of the truck hit him oh, with wow. a little scratch on his arm Eek. and he wanted a a, a, uh, a uh, purple heart okay which yeah, I, I'm a two sergeant now so I, I, I wouldn't 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 give wouldn't put him in for it okay well I here again I hadn't read my magic <laughs> any later on I found out you know any combat wound is called by the enemy yeah and it draws blood just with a purple heart. Gotcha. So, uh, but I didn't put him in for it. So later on, is it some later on? Was in a we had been in a, in a on a support group. Uh, we what kind of kind of like what's called a stand down, where you went to an artillery unit for kind of you uh, out on operation, but you went to an artillery unit where you had to stand down and kind of relaxed a little bit. Yeah. Didn't ask your patrols and did these things. You're supposed to be basically security for an artillery unit, but you're further enough behind lines. Right. Uh, we we done spent our time there and got ready to leave there. And 
Hey, I guess somebody fired a, a, a VC fired a grenade launcher, and the guy that was right in front of me climbing up on the truck, he just fell right oh. my feet there. But that, that part of it, but and and and, and it, everybody started returning fire off into the jungles there, and finally we ceased fire, and called in. Uh, Helicopter uh, evacuation for any wounded and, yeah. and, and the dead there, and then about got everything cleaned up and ready to ready to move out again. And I looked up and trickle of blood uh -huh. coming down my arm here. Yeah, and I looked at the roll my sleeve up. Well, it was two pieces of shrapnel that hit me up here, <laughs> and I says. Uh, but I told my platoon leader, I says, I've got hit, sir. And he went berserk. <laughs> I says, I got a couple trucks. And then I said, no, let's wait till we get, we finish it. Wasn't, wasn't that bad. Yeah. I said, wait till we get to the, our next location where we're moving to. Then we'll I'll go to the medical camp right. and get treated. Yeah, but I said that. I didn't put myself in for no, <laughs> no, uh, no purple heart. Purple heart because I didn't put him in. That's right. For no purple heart was that, and but the uh, things like that, it, you, know, you try to be fair with people. Try to do things the right way. Yeah, things the right way. Well, Mac, we're uh, we're running a little short on time. So, is there anything else you'd like to tell us today? Uh no. I, 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 I guess I've, that's enough for right now. Well, we could probably we sit down to. and do this again too <laughs> if we wanted to. That'd be pretty cool. All right, well, now. it's just been uh, it's just been an honor to hear your stories and hear a little bit about who you are. Mm -hmm. You know, if we passed each other in the streets of Dixon, we'd probably just wave. And I never would have imagined that that you would have been the places you have been and done the things you have done. Uh, and I'm really grateful, and I'm glad that the, the Old Timers Day Committee. Um, I think they made a great decision in honoring you, and, and not just you, but uh, men and women like you who have served and who have uh, made our world a little bit better of a place. Um, so thank you for your time today. I thank you for your prod podcast, you call it? Yeah, that's what we called it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another educational for me. That's I, right. I read podcasts, but I had no idea how it worked. You're 94 and you're on your first podcast, podcast. so there you go. All there right. you go. Well, friends, if you... Uh, if you long enough, you'll go. You'll see everything. That's right. <laughs> you will. Well, friends, thank you so much for listening to us today. Uh, and if you found this show uh, something that you've enjoyed, uh, we release new episodes generally every Tuesday morning. You can find Rough Drafts anywhere you find your podcast on the Apple Podcast Store, on Spotify, on Amazon, uh, Echo, Alexa, pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast, you can find us. And until next time, I can't wait to hear what God's up to in your story. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Rough Drafts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review. Until next time, let's keep looking for how God writes His love into our stories.